Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Many of you may not know that I'm the father of three daughters, and as such, I regularly help them navigate through various options for their future education, their potential career opportunities, and have conversations along those lines. Well, when it comes to education, you know, one of the buzzwords that is ubiquitous in today's educational world is STEM. Historically, women and girls have been underrepresented in STEM-related fields. And our guest on the show today is Janice Levenhagen. She's the founder and CEO of Chick Tech, which is a nonprofit dedicated to increasing and retaining the number of women and girls in technology-based careers. Motivated by her own experience, Janice has helped to develop workshop programs, creating greater awareness about and access to female role models in order to spark interest in STEM-related fields. Enjoy today's show as Janice shares what the nonprofit she is leading is doing to encourage more women and girls to consider STEM-related careers. Well, Janice, it's great to have you on the show. You're calling in from Portland today. I appreciate you taking the time and welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. So talk a little bit about yourself and your story. It's very timely that we're talking about this issue of STEM and getting more women and girls in STEM-related fields. Talk about the mission and the story of Chick Tech. How did it get started and what's its purpose? Yeah, definitely. So uh, Chick Tech is about five and a half, six years old now. Uh, we started here in Portland. Our mission is basically to get and keep girls and women in high tech. Uh, so we do that on the... K through 12 side by focusing on high school girls who don't think of themselves as technical and getting them to change their minds about who a technologist is and who, uh, who they might be when they grow up. Uh, and then we also work on the career side focusing on women who are already in, uh, the technology industry and providing them with a sense of community and belonging, uh, so that they have that ability to um, continue in technology and also to support others who are there as well. So you have an interesting personal story. Talk a little bit more about your own specific story and what prompted you to start Chick Tech. So I have a computer engineering undergrad. Uh, I went to uh, Oregon State University for computer engineering. I graduated in 2006 uh, when I was in uh, computer engineering. Electrical and computer engineering had uh, 8% women. Um, or as I like to fondly call it, 92% men, uh, because that's the big thing you notice sometimes when you walk into the room. Uh, so there's a few different particular things that really motivated me to start Chick Tech based on my experience. Uh, so the first is in high school, um, I was on the math team. I won every math award you could possibly get in the two high schools that I went to. Uh, yet no one pushed me into a technology field or an engineering field. Um, I basically fell into it because my grandma mentioned one day, like, hey, you should check out engineering. Um, you're really good at math. And I was like, sure, why not? 
Um, and so even though people around me, the, the young men around me who were on that math team, um, were convinced to go into technology, um, I, as a young woman, I believe didn't fit those stereotypes that those people had. And so I just happened to, um, have that mentioned to me and therefore I happened to find it, which doesn't happen to, uh, it happens to a significant number of women who have found technology um, as a career, but there are so many women out there that could have technology who that didn't happen to. And we should be helping our uh, young people in our society to find the careers that are better, that are best for them in some way other than just chance or happenstance. Um, and uh, so that's, that's part of it. That's what really inspired um, our high school program is um, my experiences of not being just randomly finding it, but then also going in and being surrounded by people who somehow already knew more about technology than I did. And I went in um, woefully underprepared um, while not having those chances to have been prepared. And so when when young women end up going into technology, they often um, feel like they don't belong, one, because they're surrounded by men, but two, because they haven't had those opportunities and those experiences that those men have had. So they look around and they say, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it seems like everyone else does. And so they must be better at this than I am. And so they internalize that, and that turns into imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is one of the big reasons that I left technology, along with dealing with multiple episodes of discrimination and and sexual harassment. Um, Imposter syndrome is basically where uh, uh, no matter how good you are, no matter how many accolades you get, you always think that you're an imposter and you're just waiting for that time for everyone else to finally realize as well. Um, and so for me, because of all those different experiences, while not feeling like I was good enough, even though I had a great GPA and everyone told me that I was really good at it, I ended up leaving um, after I graduated from college. And so I went back and got my MBA. Um, but my experiences at my internships and my experiences at college um, made me realize that there's this lack of community for um, women to belong to and that um, sense of belonging is so critical to all of us you know whether we're women in technology or you know somebody in an inner city you know looking at um, you know looking for somewhere to belong it doesn't matter who we are we just need we need that sense of community um, and so um with with chick tech that's something that we're um uh, that we're trying to create um and that we have created across the country at this point um right now we have 18 chapters across the country and our expectation is that we'll have um 2000 volunteers this year um serving almost 10,000 girls and women and um when we can create that community and we can create um this movement where women and girls are really supporting each other and having each other's backs, then I think that's where we can really make that strong difference in our society and beyond. So what have you found to be the biggest barriers to getting more women and girls into tech-related fields? 
there's a couple different things. I mean, in general, in our organization, of course, we're a nonprofit, so funding is always an issue. Um, <laughs> so if we had more funding, then we could, of course, uh, run more programs and get more girls and women into tech. So somebody should probably just give us a billion dollars, and then we'll just we'll just solve this problem. Uh, but other than that. Um, I'd say the biggest thing um, that we're combating is those stereotypes. So that stereotype tells girls that, um, you know, you have to have a particular brain, you have to have a particular personality, you have to, you know, the, the stereotypical, you know, living in your mom's basement and never showering, you know, like that's still, you know, even though, you know, most of the people in technology are not like that. That's still really pervasive for these high school girls. And when you're a high school girl, you know, those are, those barriers are hard because it's so, especially in high school, it's so critical to belong and so critical to, to be a part of those social norms. And you don't have that larger viewpoint. So when you're, when you're, a, you know, somebody under 18, you're really, there's this, you're in this bubble. And that bubble says technology is like the TV shows. And everybody looks the same and everybody acts the same. And, you know, if you don't belong, then why would you be a part of that? You're not going to succeed. And um, so they choose something else. They choose something that their teachers, who also have those same stereotypes often, because we all have that unconscious bias around what people should be doing um, and shouldn't be doing. Um, so their teachers push them along, you know, oh, you could look at technology, but you're so great with people. What if you, what if you looked at medicine? What if you looked at, um, you know, nursing or what if you went into some sort of helping profession, right? Because you just love people so much when in reality, even in tech, you can work with people, but their bubble says you can't, right? And so I'd say that's the biggest thing. Um, well, let me ask you a question. In preparation for this podcast, I did a little research, and, and what it's shown is that storytelling can stimulate the brain more than simply word recognition. Now, why is that important? Well, according to an article in the Scientific American in 2006, researchers in Spain discovered that stories stimulate the brain and even change how we act in life. And then last year, a team of researchers from Emory University reported in brain and language that similes and metaphors can activate sensory portions of the brain, and that the Laboratory of Language Dynamics in France discovered that action words can stimulate the motor cortex. So all that to say, uh, research has pointed out that often female students with high ability in both math and verbal areas tend to steer away from STEM careers, as the recent study in psychological science shows. So is it time to bring more of those verbal skills into the STEM classes for the benefit of all of these students, in your opinion? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, uh, I mean, as, as you had asked earlier, you know, why is it important for girls to, and women to be in technology? Um, I think that we do need that strong diversity in tech so that, so that we have all of those viewpoints and we are bringing those really interesting things that can help make technology better for everyone and solve more people's problems. I do, I do think when I'm looking at AP computer science and I'm looking at, you know, computer science classes or engineering classes in general, they do, they absolutely cater to a specific type of person and to a specific type of brain and they reward those to the detriment of others. 
um, like you were talking about with the more storytelling or the more people with the higher verbal and they don't, they don't uh, reward those so that they get the idea that that diversity and those skills are, are as critical as they actually are. Uh, and so when you're looking at a, uh, a high school student who goes into a, you know, engineering class or a programming class in high school, they're automatically, you know, shown that those skills are not as not as are not as important and that they don't really belong there. So this is the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and Chick Tech is a nonprofit. So how are you uniquely positioned to address this issue from a different perspective than say a business or even a school district or a university? Yeah, so there's a couple different things. I mean, one, you know, we as a we as a nonprofit, even not counting businesses or whatever, I think one of our unique uh, perspectives is that I went through all of this myself, and so I have that information um, and those how all of that has felt, and so that has left us uniquely positioned um, in terms of versus a business. Um, one of the things when we were looking at should we become a nonprofit or not, one thing that's really critical to me, so I grew up in poverty in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin, and so many doors were closed to me because I couldn't pay for them. One of the criteria um, chapters running our high school program is that it has to be free to the girls. And so that lowers that barrier because even applying for scholarships is daunting and scary. Um, and it kind of sets you apart as not quite as good as the others, you know, who got there some other way and who didn't need that help or to those girls view didn't need that help. Right. And so if we weren't a nonprofit, we would have to charge market cost for those or how much it costs us to to put those on. Whereas as a nonprofit, we can talk to the tech industry and say, hey, you really need these girls here and they deserve to be here and your products are going to be better if they're in your company, um, you know, donate to us so that we can help break down those barriers for them and provide them with these experiences uh, because we all win. Um, so that's, I think, one of the really the really critical things is, is um, helping girls who otherwise wouldn't have those opportunities. Um, in terms of a school, you know, schools in general are pretty limited. Teachers are really overworked. Um, so we're wanting to be, in addition, you know, be an extracurricular activity that the teachers, so we use a nomination process. So we work with the schools to get teachers to nominate uh, who we call the unusual suspects. So not the 1% or 2% of girls who have opted into technology, but all the others who have that aptitude. And so rather than um, putting a lot more on teachers' plates when they're already overwhelmed, we're supplementing what they're doing and allowing them to provide those opportunities to their students whose potential they see, but who may not otherwise be able to reach it without us. Um, and so that's that's definitely, you know, running a nonprofit has some special, special challenges, but it definitely, the reason they're around is because there are, the, are these niches like we have where, you know, we can, we can do the things that need to be done without having to worry about can the person who needs this experience or who needs this support pay for it. Now, as you mentioned, you do work with local schools. Um, tell us how it works, how your nonprofit works and comes alongside the local schools. Yeah, so the main part that we've been doing so far is with our nominations, you know, just saying 
you know, hey, teachers, just give us 15 names of girls that you think deserve this opportunity who wouldn't otherwise have it. Um, and so we've tried to keep our relationship with the schools minimal only because we want to protect the teachers from um, even more uh, drains on their time and their energy. However, lately we've been um, – so, for example, our Southeast Michigan chapter – um, which includes Detroit, right, the, the Detroit area. Um, it's actually run by high school STEM teachers, two of them. And um, we're looking at having one of our high school programs uh, over in Boston possibly be run by a high school teacher. Um, and here in Portland, we I just had a discussion with my Portland community manager about a teacher who's been amazingly helpful to our program, possibly taking on a bigger role. And so I'm actually wondering if we're, we've been underestimating the teachers and making decisions for them that we should have allowed them to make. And so that's been an interesting internal conversation around us, um, around what we're what we're doing in our in our team is could we possibly work with schools in a deeper way. Um, and then we're also hoping at some point down the line, once we get some more bandwidth, which is a very precious commodity, as I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows, um, we want to do um, trainings around unconscious bias and um, around how to make a better experience for girls that's more tailored or at least less tailored towards boys um, so that they can feel empowered to make changes and they can feel like they have all the information they need to um, create a more inclusive experience. Um, we haven't done that yet, but it's it's on it's on our radar. And so hopefully in the next couple of years, we can get to that. So from all of your experience working with schools and working with your nonprofit, do you believe that budget concerns or the lack of a budget has been the primary reason for schools not to offer more support in order to get more girls involved in STEM training? I would say so. I mean, I think a lot of it is, um, it's probably the same kind of combination that happens in companies, right? Where not everyone believes it's an issue. Um, and not everyone has the bandwidth to do it. And not everyone, even if they do believe it's an issue, believes that it's a top priority. Um, and so it, I think often, even though there's a lot of rhetoric around it, um, there's not as much of a push as one might like, and so often those pushes come from outside with the with better partnerships with programs like ours um, so that they can, you know, the teachers who do really strongly care about it can push girls towards programs like ours. Um, I'm sure budget is part of it, but it, I think that the budget is probably part of it in that they don't have enough teachers to hire more to be able to push this kind of thing more deeply. Yeah, so the, it's the same thing that I see with companies where they really, they, they talk about how much they care about diversity, and I'm sure they do, but it comes right after everything else that's on their list. So it's, you know, we have to get this great product out the door before we care about diversity. Oh, but now we need to make sure that our marketing and our sales are up to snuff before we care about diversity. And, oh, if we care about diversity, is that going to cut out into any of those things? And so they, even if they care, it, it ends up being a lot of talk and a lot less action because it's not, it has never in the past been treated as a mission critical thing for most companies. 
Um, and with schools, you know, their, their their goal is to serve all of the students. And so it's, I think, hard for them to provide, you know, they're not providing TAG programs, you know, gifted and talented programs. They're not, they're not providing, you know, leveled classes because they don't have enough teachers. You know, everybody's taught in the same place, in the same way. And so to, to change that so that people, you know, can focus on one particular gender who's being left behind in a certain way is a lot deeper, I think, than they're able to go. The theme for this show is how are people making the world better? So through your work and through your nonprofit, how are you making the world better? Give us a couple examples of people and their lives and how they've changed because of what Chick Tech does. Definitely. So this is from a couple years ago when I was um, more heavily involved in the programming itself. Um, Now that I'm CEO, I don't get to do as much of the fun stuff. Uh, But I was taking a group of girls um, back over to Hillsboro. Um, so they, one of the things that we do with our program is provide transportation to, again, lower those barriers. And um, there was this young uh, Latina uh, woman who I was taking back home, and she was really shy and, like, really nice. And she just, I, I'm not sure I'd ever heard her speak before, but she um, piped up on the way home, and she said, you know, I just really want to thank you for, having Chick Tech because before I went to Chick Tech, I thought that my only career option was to be a dental assistant. And now that I've been to Chick Tech, I realized that I can actually do something that I enjoy. And so that broke my heart a little bit that, you know, she, you know, she was a junior or senior and she thought that her path was already carved out for her and that doing what she loved wasn't an option. Um, and she ended up going to um, Portland Community College for computer science as soon as she graduated, which is really exciting. Um, and so I know that we have those kinds of stories um, all over of really allowing girls to really understand their own potential and to expand the bubble that, you know, through having, you know, more of the the um, blue-collar, working-class parents who haven't had as much exposure to all these careers as well, we're able to provide that mentorship so that they their eyes are open to all these other exciting things that they could be doing with their lives. Um, and then on the um, career side, we actually, this is a volunteer that we had, um, so she was doing career events and for us. And she and I were talking um, the other day, and what she said was, you know, the really um, – the really great thing about Chick Tech is it feels like people have my back. Um, and she talked about a um, an experience that she had had at her work where it was a an experience that made her feel really uncomfortable. Um, and uh, she said that without Chick Tech, she would not have had the strength to go to HR and report it. But because we, she felt like she had this community that cared about her and was there for her and would stand with her, uh, she went to HR and, and was able to report that experience and get that taken care of rather than silently sitting there and just pretending that she wasn't uncomfortable and she wasn't unhappy. It's a really big deal for women who are in tech because the main reason that women leave the technology field once they're here is because of the culture and the toxicity often for for women and people who are 
um, people of color and people who are just in general different from the stereotypical white man. Um, and so that, that really made me, it, I mean, it sucked, of course, that it, it, she didn't have, um, uh, she otherwise wouldn't have felt comfortable reporting it. And I hear that a lot, but I was really happy that we were working on changing that, um, for women so that things can start changing in our society and in the industry. You are a nonprofit organization, as we've mentioned before, and as such, you have to raise support. You have to seek donations. What are your primary sources of financial support, and how are you seeking to utilize, say, a social enterprise approach, if at all? Yeah, so the our, our biggest source of funding right now is corporations. Um, we finally have a development director, which is really exciting. She just started last month. Uh, so I'm expecting that we'll, um, we'll start, you know, working with individuals more and, and building up that individual donor base. Um, but so far, probably 80, 90% of our, our funding comes from corporations. Um, so one of the, um, uh, one of the biggest things that we've done is, so I don't know if you'd call this social enterprise or not, but we have a conference that we run. Um, and it's called ACTW, Advancing the Careers of Technical Women. Um, and we are running that in seven cities in 2017, and we're getting ready for ACTW National, which will be in April of 2018 down in Phoenix. And that has been a lifesaver because we, um, we've been trying to figure out for quite a while how to get companies or people to, um, to care about um high school girls or girls who are not, you know, or young women who are not ready to hop right into their workforce, right? And so um that's been difficult because they they're looking at the next quarter, right? How can we get more women in the door in the next quarter or the next half a year? And because that's been so hard, we were really struggling. Um and so when we came up with this ACTW conference, um there's a career fair component. And what we've found is companies will be hard pressed to give us $500 for our high school program. But if you tell them it's $2,000 for six hours at a career fair booth where they'll meet um, technical women who may want to work for them and they're, they'll do it like that. Right. And so that's been a huge lifesaver of ours. Um, and that's been, I don't know if we would still be in business if we had not um, created this idea. Um, so that's been a big one. We just are starting to launch our soft circuit kits. So we um, made kits out of our um, really popular soft circuit workshop that we've been running. Um, and so that's for middle school and high school girls. Um, so we're really starting to we're we're really working on diversifying our where we get our funds from, um, and that's been really really helpful. Um, and it feels more like we have our own uh, our destiny in our own hands you know what i mean and that's i think what a lot of organizations like about earned income is that you um you don't have to write a grant and then wait and then wonder what's going on and then you know hope and um worry that that's not you know that because of something arbitrary they're not going to fund you for that right it's you know you it's very, it's a lot more tangible and it's a lot more, I think, empowering in a lot of different ways. Uh, that being said, our biggest funder is the Adobe Foundation and we get a large grant from there every year. So there, there is that. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the main way. Um, we're, 
uh, looking at uh, we've been doubling the last few years, so we're looking at a budget of about two million this year. My guest on the show today has been Janice Levenhagen. She's the CEO and founder of Chick Tech, a nonprofit dedicated to getting more women and girls in tech-related fields. Uh, Janice, if they want to get a hold of you or find out a little bit more about Chick Tech, where would you send them? Yeah, so they can go to our website, so chicktech.org. Uh, they can also find us on Twitter. Uh, we're pretty active there, and that's at ChickTech.org. Uh, sometimes people do at ChickTech, um, and that is Ashley at ChickTech.com, who's over in Toronto. And she's amazing, and we'll send them our way, but we try to get them in the right spot to start out with. Um, and then we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Facebook is at ChickTech, and then I think Instagram is at ChickTech.org. Um, so people can connect with us however uh, they'd like to. If, uh, they can also, of course, email us at info at chicktech.org. Well, Janice, thanks again for your time. And this is a very timely topic and a very important one. So thanks for all the work you're putting into this. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better. 